0: everyone just a quick note before we dive into the episode there are some audio issues with this episode i apologize for that and definitely didn't want to have as many issues as we did in this one it's a great topic chris brings a lot of information about what he's doing without immersive films and i really hope you do take a listen through the whole episode thanks hey this is laurie from hike where we explore wander and live in today's episode, I get a chance to talk with Chris Smead about Mercer Films. We talk about his most recent projects and a little bit about hiking and just the filmmaking process. So take a listen and let us know what you think.
1: So Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself, and I guess uh, about
2: Outmersive Films. Uh, sure, yeah. So Outmersive Films is a, a little deal that I started a while back. A little, uh, I, hate, technically it's a company, but I, I, it's more like a collective of, uh, you know, me and a few friends that get together and we create, uh, outdoor films. Um, usually around hiking and backpacking and stuff. And it started off as a, uh, really it started off like most people do, uh, just me and a GoPro screwing around on, on hikes and stuff. And then in 2016, I hiked the Jamir Trail, and uh, I brought a camera along and shot some stuff, and it was terrible. <laughs> and I got back, and <laughs> and I started editing and editing and editing, and it was my first time really editing. And uh, several months later, and then hundreds of hours later, uh, I ended up creating this little uh, YouTube video about the Jamir Trail that kind of did really well. Uh, there's a few articles done on it and stuff. And after that, I was like, hey, you guys should learn about cameras and learn how to do it right. And uh, from then it just kind of progressed on to, to what I'm doing now.
1: So have you always been avid hiker and backpacker?
2: Definitely always been a huge avid hiker. I started hiking, I think it was either 2003 or 2004. And uh, yeah, the, the first after the first trip, I was hooked. Now I've done uh, 60-something, maybe close to 70 hikes at this point, mostly in the Sierra Nevada. It's definitely my favorite place to go, but I've hiked in you know, Utah and Alaska and all sorts
1: of different places. Oh wow, yeah, Alaska's beautiful. I uh, I've been there. I've, I did a little bit of work there, and yeah, it's one of those places I want to go back. You said that Outmersive Films in itself is a collective, so I saw that you do you know, showcases, and so it's several of you bringing things together. So tell me a little bit about the types of outdoor films you're doing and some of that diversity.
2: Uh, so yeah, so Outburst of Films kind of does two things at this point, um, the first being you know, the filmmaking, um, but we also do showcases. You know, like I said, the Switchback showcase started off for kind of selfish reasons, just because they wanted to see on the big screen, and, uh, and and then after that it kind of evolved, and the, the last two events were more uh, charity-based. Pretty cool.
1: As you've gotten started, and you're... You know, you said this is you know, the third showcase, and I think uh, your first film, what, was in 2016, you said, right?
2: Yeah, 2016, it was my first film
1: project. I almost hesitate to call it a film. It's kind of a glorified YouTube
2: video. It's, it's basically a YouTube video that I spent way too long working on, and uh, yeah, so it was kind of film-ish, um, but after that, I created a number of films that were definitely more focused and I try to get better camera work and stuff.
1: So tell me a little bit about that because, as you know, you're a hiker, but you're also documenting the process. Um, tell me about what that's like.
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a hiker first. Uh, I'm a huge backpacker. I'm a, basically, I'm a backpacking geek with a camera. And uh, making documentaries is a, fair, is a very new hobby for me. And luckily, the technology is, is pretty accessible at this point. Um, you don't have to fork out a million bucks to make your own documentary. You can do it with a lot less. And, uh, so, yeah, I kind of stepped into it at a good time, um, and the technology was there and it just required, uh, just requires a lot of time and planning and editing and, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, basically, the the process is, starts off like anybody else's backpacking trip. I'm like, hey, I want to go on a hike. (laughs) And then, after figuring out, you know, the logistics of the trip, then I'm like, eh, maybe I should film it. <laughs> and then from there, it usually progresses to, like, taking film permits, um, figuring out the gear situation with the cameras. And I'm definitely ultralight when it comes to backpacking gear, but if you look at mm-hmm. my pack, you would never guess it, because sometimes half to a third of my pack weight is just cameras.
1: I got to say, yeah, I saw, um, I think... You know, as I was doing some research and, of course, talking with Benny Braden about um, the Highline Project, I believe one of your clips out there is showing just all of the gear that you are, are taking in, the cameras, the lenses, and everything. How does that you know fit into just the enjoyment of being on the trail? It's a different type of enjoyment. When I
2: go out by myself and I'm backpacking, it's just like me and nature and I'm having fun. I'm pretty sure you and all your listeners <laughs> really identify with that. Uh, Making documentaries is—it is, uh, definitely requires a different level of attention. To—I uh, don't know if that's the right word. It's a different experience. It's—it's it's not just about going out and enjoying nature anymore. Um, I mean, it's, a lot of it is still that. You're not filming all the time, but it's definitely—I don't want to call it a burden. It's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. You're—you're
2: <laughs> you're carrying a lot of gear. You're doing a lot of prep work. Uh, there's some paperwork involved with brand, and then you get out there and you get up before everybody else to shoot, and you have to be up late after everybody else shooting. Um, you can't just walk past the view and say, "This is amazing." You can just walk past that view and then figure out how you're going to shoot it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that it's definitely a challenge. But I'm a geek, so I actually like that stuff. I wouldn't, I don't want to do it on every trip, um, but it's a lot of fun. The Highline Project, Highline film. Uh, that has any weight in. Um that that is definitely the most ambitious project by far and that required a whole lot of a whole lot of gear to be brought up with But luckily all those guys, Joe Joe and Matt will with Red Gear and uh, luckily they're all very strong hikers. And so they kind of served as packing. Right? way.
1: <laughs> I want you to go hiking and do this project, but you know, you need to help.
2: Yeah and, okay. and Tung- I was surprised how cool with it they were, because when you look at an ultralight guy, they're, like, sweating over every ounce that goes yes. through their pack, right? I am one of those guys. And then, like, hey, your pack's, you know, all set to go. Would you mind carrying, like, another five pounds of batteries? <laughs> and, uh, you know, want to carry a couple lenses for me? And, yeah, luckily, they were totally cool with it. They're all strong hikers. So it was no big deal for them. And... Uh, it made it worth it. It was nice to have the gear out there, having the selection of stuff out there that you usually don't get to have. Even still, we had to be very creative with things, you know, as light and practical as possible.
1: So, what was your inspiration for doing the Highline project? Was it you, know, you wanted to go out into the Uinta Mountains? What what brought that together?
2: So, my last project, the High Sierra Trail, uh, is you know, obviously a documentary about the High Sierra Trail. It was definitely a big learning experience. Um, It ended up getting distributed, so it's on iTunes and stuff, so that's kind of cool. But the film itself is very... It's just kind of me and a friend doing like weird, geeky stuff, kind of being silly on the trail. And then there's the documentary side of it, where we interviewed uh, a guy who was very knowledgeable. And that I thought that was a lot of fun. And for Highline, I wanted to adopt some of those same things, uh, but I wanted to take it several steps beyond that. And with Highline, I wanted to go deep into the history of the trail, deep into the the backstories of the people who went and why they choose that lifestyle, and um, as well as just capturing the modern experience of being out there. And so I I had that in the back of my head, and then CPX reached out and like, hey, you know, you want to come out on a hike with us? They they weren't even thinking film; they just wanted to go on a hike. And uh, I'm like, sure. And then I started looking at the group of people that were going and realizing that they all had very interesting backstories. And I'm like, hey, this is good this this work. So it started off as a, an idea of a 15- 15, 15 to 20-minute film, which uh, very quickly evolved into a feature-length documentary that is still being edited right now. And um, it's definitely a very um, ambitious project, and it definitely goes a lot deeper into things. It has a lot more story to it. Uh, than, than the average documentary will. It def, it's definitely way beyond anything I've ever, ever done before. Definitely super exciting. Pretty awesome, actually. I'm really happy with this. Look.
1: Good. So you're deep in editing. Right now, what are your thoughts on how long do you think it's going to be until it gets uh, ready for distribution?
2: Uh, the plan is to premiere it in August, which sounds like a long time from now, and it is, but uh, when you're dealing with a the story's very complex the history of the trail, the modern experience, and then the histories behind these five hikers will all have very serious backgrounds. And so that edit, you can imagine, is really complex. I have to bounce back and forth between these three dimensions in a seamless way where you don't feel like you're being jostled into one world versus another. It needs to feel, like, cohesive. So at this point, I'm editing about, I can knock out about two two minutes of footage a week. Um, and that's spending anywhere from 40 to 100 hours a week. It's it's slow, yes. um, but it's getting there. And then when I'm done, it has to go to a colorist, uh, and then it's got to be audio finished. And then uh, after that's done, it'll go through. You know, like I said, the plan is to premiere it in August. We're planning to premiere it in, in Utah. And then when we're done, um, we'll go through the festival circuit. So we'll submit to a bunch of film festivals. And we'll do that for probably about six. Yeah, anywhere from like four to six months or so, and then after that we will uh, be going out for distribution.
1: So, um, were you the only person doing the filming, or did you have another or others helping you film?
2: Uh, so, it used to be just me and a laptop and a tiny little camera, basically. And uh, that's definitely evolved. For this project, uh, I brought in a good friend named Gordon Gurley. He's the director of video at Stanford University, and uh, he came out on the trail. And he, uh, he hiked with us. We brought another camera. So it was nice to have that extra camera. And not all the filming is on the trail. I mean, that's really what drives the whole film. Mm-hmm. But to get into the backstories of the people, we actually flew out to all their homes. We shot interviews in their homes. We shot evil in the cities that they were at to tell mm-hmm. other stories. And uh, Gordy came out with me there. And he shoot all shoot stuff. The guy is like... An amazing lighting expert. I'm, when it comes to lighting, you know, I'm used to just outdoor stuff, right? It's like, oh, the sun's right there. You don't need light. <laughs> and uh, with him, when you're dealing with indoor stuff, it's, it's a whole different world. Lucky who has like 20 years of experience doing camera stuff and lighting. He's able to uh, really take up you know, everything several notches.
1: So as you got to know all of these guys that you're hiking with, um, what surprised you most about them? how normal and down-to-earth they
2: are. They just love to be on trail, and Mm -hmm. what was cool about learning their backstories is you can see how they made it work for them. You know, a lot of us, uh, we we have jobs. You know, we need to support our families, and then when it comes down to getting into the outdoors, it's like, oh, man, I can try to get out a couple times a year to go backpacking, but it's tough. Those people, the, the five people that I called for this project... Um, they made it. They made backpacking and getting outdoors a much larger part of their lives, and it was cool to see how they did it. And they all had different approaches to it, and uh, it was inspiring for me. It made me want to really uh, take another look at my life and see if there's another way that I can get more time outdoors versus in front of computer screens all day working in tech and
1: all that it's i think it's all about balance it's all about you know finding that nice way to be able to get outside um, recharge your batteries and then also yeah i mean there is a lot of us we do have to do the day job and um, i wish i could spend every day out out there on the trail but it's not always the case so it is finding that that good balance
2: it is hard
1: so when you are outdoors you know, t- speaking about that whole screen and living, you know, living with behind the screen, basically, staring at the screen. D- do you try to, you know, when you're not filming, when you're not, you know, out there trying to capture anything or even just for your own height, you know, are you trying to go off the grid, shut down the the phone? How, how have you managed that or or do you? Uh, definitely. I, I, you know,
2: I've got two kids at home, so I do bring a satellite phone just so I can check in on them and make sure they're okay. Uh, but besides that, yeah, one of the most awesome experiences in my life was on the John Muir Trail, when I didn't check email for three weeks. Like, it sounds so, like, it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but not seeing email for three weeks was a really liberating thing. It was awesome. And I'm somebody who gets, like, tons and tons of email, and I like to respond to everything. And, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was great. It sucked when I got back. <laughs> I spend, like, Catching up. Emails. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I definitely like the whole disconnected thing. In fact, you'll find that in a, as a theme within the Highline film. Oh, that's um, great. And it's, it's healthy to get away from stuff like that, just to live the way that human beings lived for thousands of years before iPhones came out.
1: So when you were out there, um, let's say, you know, for in the Uinta Mountains for filming Highline, how did you, you know, manage, you know, what was the terrain like? Just how, how was that? A factor in the filming.
2: It was actually a substantial factor in the filming. Uh, when you're on the John Muir Trail, it's like it's a clean cut trail. You can you can hike that thing blind and not get lost. Um, the Owens Mountains were a very uh, different story. It was a much more wild place. You barely saw anybody out there, and uh, that is, that was another kind of driver for the film too. Is that you know the John Muir Trail gets so much traffic. There's a lot of trails happen. A lot of national parks. And places, get so much traffic that I felt that making a film that helped promote an unknown place like this could be helpful so in my, my mind. I was hoping that it would kind of load balance. But with that comes responsibilities. I've been working with uh, the national, or with the poultry uh, the Office over there, Ashley National Forest, and you went to Washington Cash National Forest. Um, because they're definitely getting, just for the trailer release, they're definitely getting more attention. And uh, a lot more people are going really to interested in the trail, but uh, like I said, it's more wild, and you have to be very careful. You can't just go out there and you can go right. Uh, navigation is a major challenge. The terrain is tougher. Um, it, it, you couldn't cover the same kind of miles that you can cover off the um, On the JMT, you can do, you know, 20-mile, 18-20-mile days. It's, that's somewhat common. Um, in the U.S. mountains, definitely not. We were doing. We were averaging like 16 like miles a day. Granted, we were carrying heavy cameras. A lot of we had to talk, you know, we a, a map, you know, plot a map, plot the gas about where we were, and then, and then mm-hmm. walk around to see if we could find where the people was supposed to be. These were all like experienced skies, right? So it wasn't like we were just kind of accidentally walking off the trail. It, it was challenging.
1: So, did you, you feel way? did you feel like a safer um kind of within that of just saying, you know, you know, the collective experience of these hikers, you know, is in the hundreds of years. So how did that make you feel? Um, Yeah, well, I
2: I consider myself a a pretty experienced hiker. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I went out there, I realized that these guys were even more experienced, right? So I I was comfortable with myself in in situations. I've done off-trail tracks uh, many times by myself. These guys were even more experienced, so there was really never any, about getting lost or whatever because I mean, we did get lost a bunch of times but we had GPS, we had a map you know, we moved the deals, it wasn't like yeah, you know, one of those situations that was going to turn into that kind of a documentary where <laughs> you know, you're, you're calling for help and starving to death Up,
1: You shared about how just even the exposure around your trailer is generating the buzz and um, getting people interested in this area and um, did you, I mean, did you ever expect that? Did you is that, we kind of did, yeah. yeah. Even initial, when we were going
2: through the film programming process uh, with you know, grocery stores, uh, we, were, we had a lot of conversations about that. But they were actually totally on board with it. When you look at places like Yosemite or, or Bryce or Kings Canyon or, or Rocky Mountain National Park, and they, they're they never going away. They're, they will always be there with the, the smaller places, the lesser-known places. That's, that's not entirely guaranteed. You look at the whole Bears Ears thing. Really? I mean, have you? Do you ever hear Bears Ears before? It's no. Almost becoming extinct? Oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so these lesser-known places, there's there's tons and tons and tons of these lesser-known places that are very beautiful. And they just, nobody goes there. And because nobody goes there, they don't get the funding. And because they don't get the funding, it's hard to keep these places open. So, for example, the Yota, the, the Yota Highline Trail is maintained mostly by... Volunteers, the, the backcountry forces of America go out there and spend like hundreds of hours every year, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of hours uh, every year, going out there and clearing the trail. It's fascinating how quickly nature can reclaim the trail, and these guys go out there on their own dime and just spend weeks cutting trees down and clearing them out and doing all this trail work uh, just to just to keep it up. And yeah, so I mean, imagine if they stopped or uh, that would be terrible that trail could disappear.
1: So it sounds like you did feel some responsibility, I mean, through your filmmaking of, of showing that and, um, showcasing, you know, like the importance of protecting the lands. Um, are you getting people, you know, now that your, um, your projects, you know, have been out there, you know, the High Sierra Trail, um, you know, that project being an iTunes. And are you getting people reaching out to you and, you know, asking for advice on doing, you know, their own film and things like that?
2: Uh, a lot more than expected, yes. Mm-hmm. Tons of people. Uh, I get a lot of questions about, you know, camera gear and, and how you. I thought, you know, I figured I was going to get gear questions, right? Because it is kind of a unique type of documentary filmmaking. You can't go to the store and buy your average normal documentary stuff. be very creative, because you have to carry it out there, right? How do you deal with power? and how you do mm-hmm. that stuff? So I definitely get a lot of questions about that, which was expected. I am surprisingly getting a lot of questions about just strategy overall. How do you go about planning these things? Uh, how do you execute it? Uh, how do you deal with film permits? And, um, yeah, so it sounds like, I think a lot of people are starting to get into it now. And uh, it is a very interesting hobby to get into, it's fun. Uh, it's consuming, it's fun. And so yeah, there's definitely a lot of questions about filmmaking, and I would say probably three quarters of the questions I get are about filmmaking, and then maybe a quarter of the questions I get are about um, the trail logistics, stuff like that.
1: So what are some upcoming items that you're doing besides, you know, you of course you've got the editing, and you have, you know, that path of what's happening with Highline Project. You know, what are other ideas? What what's next on your horizon? A lot of stuff. So,
2: yeah, we're <laughs> it, it's becoming so active in outbursts of land uh, that you know, we're, we're actually going to start hosting like a, a a regular call with all the participants now. So it's becoming like a little company. We're actually having meetings and stuff. It's kind of getting official. Um, but yeah, so we're still still pushing the high-stair trail off there. We're still doing some screenings. We have a, a couple... We've got two REI screenings coming up in LA and we've got one in Mammoth and we've got another film festival coming up. Um, So we're still doing High Seer Trail and we're like very arms deep in in editing Highline and there's a lot going on with that with everything from audio to cutting the film to animation to uh, how we're going to market this thing. um, All sorts of stuff like that. So we're very, I would say, 80% 80% of my life is going to be focused on uh, on Highline, and uh, Highlinefilm.com. By the way, check it out. Okay. <laughs> We're definitely focused on that for a long time until the premiere in August. Uh, beyond that, yes, there's there's some future discussions uh, underway for for 2020, and uh, I, I've got a couple of ideas. You know, like I said, I, th- I think it's a well-known problem that the John Muir Trail is is getting pounded to death by people. It's a beautiful place. I love it. And I, I want to do it again at some point. Um, but there's a lot of people there and there's so many alternatives. And it would be nice to load bounce some of those people to another trail that might be equally as cool. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's a healthy thing because it helps the trail. It helps the park service and it also encourages more people to help get outside without it without overcrowding. You know, it, it lets people have a more uh, wilderness type experience, I think, too. To help spread people on other trails, and that's that's a lot to take on, right? I'm just like you know a little filmmaker here, but if it, if I could play any part in helping to bounce some of that traffic to other lesser-known trails, I, I think that's a, a worthwhile contribution. So I am um, working on a couple ideas. I'm in discussions about uh, two at least two other trails right now uh, in the Sierra Nevada. Actually, um, I'm not sure which one we'll settle on, but one of those trails we picked. Uh, as a, another feature-length documentary, and then we'll shoot that, and then, uh, promote the heck out of it as a alternative to the John Muir Trail. And, I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and mention them. Um, one of them is called the Theodore Solomons Trail, which, uh, mm-hmm. many people probably haven't heard of, which, I funny, have not. Because. Yeah, right? What's funny is, Theodore Solomons is the guy who actually came up with the idea for the John Muir Trail. But, for some reason, he didn't get it. <laughs> the trail was named after John Muir instead, because, you know, apparently that guy's kind of a big deal. And, <laughs> and, uh, um, but he has his own trail that was built in like the, like mid to late 70s, um, to help offload traffic from the Jamir Trail. But for some reason, this trail just never became well known. It never took off. Uh, people just didn't know about it. And Jamir had a bigger name, but this guy has, uh, played a very vital part in establishing the, the trail. So like, why isn't he a big deal too? Why wasn't this trail known? So, um, that trail, it runs parallel to the Jamir Trail. And, uh, there's an article on SoCal Hiker about it, by the way. Okay. If you Google Theodore Solomons on SoCal Hiker, you'll find a cool article about it.
1: And And, I uh, will make sure to put some links in the notes as well.
2: And, uh, so that's one of the trails I'm considering. Uh, right near that, basically parallel to that, is, is kind of a more fuzzy route called the John Muir Route, which is really just a route, not really a trail. Um, and that's another, Project uh, that that could happen. I'm talking to a guy named Peter Hurst about it, who is doing all sorts of presentations at REIs right now about about that route. And uh, yeah, there's also one other one that I'm lightly considering, which is the Big Seki Loop. Uh, Seki S E K I is also, you know, most people know that's also short for Sequoia Kings Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big loop that that is within the realm of the Chumier Trail area. And uh, it's a great alternative. Permits e- are easier to get. There's less people. Um, so that's that's another one that I'm, I'm looking at. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking to my conspirators, uh, co-conspirators, I guess, and uh, just keep brainstorming that until we settle on an idea and then start uh, nailing it down and then plan to shoot that in 2020.
1: Sounds like a lot of a lot of things coming up for you. <laughs> you need to be very busy.
2: Yeah, it's definitely my most consuming hobby. I think. Most hobbies are like, hey, I picked up guitar, so when I'm home at night, I play it for like 20 minutes, right? That's that's a normal hobby. Um, with with filmmaking, it's like, oh, I picked up filmmaking. I haven't slept in a year and a half. I'm editing from when I get home until four in the morning <laughs> every night.
1: So, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's not for everybody. But you have a passion for it, so that's why it's important.
2: Something I can say about documentaries is that if you ever watch one, you can know that blood, sweat, and tears the mm-hmm.
1: Are there any uh, documentaries no. you're watching right now? I mean, is there anything else that's kind of inspiring you or inspired you recently?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I love documentaries. Uh, I, I just watched one called uh, Wild Wild Country. So did I. Isn't it great? It's a little off topic here, so sorry, but I just thought that was a really interesting documentary. So it, It's about uh, you know, this cult that evolved in, uh, in Oregon, And I I just thought that was really fascinating. and Yeah, just thought it was cool. So, yeah, I mean, I like that kind of documentary. I like, you know, old World War II documentaries because I just got such a a fascinating time in history. Scary time in history, though. And uh, obviously outdoor documentaries like Mile, Mile and a Half um, about the John Muir Trail. Love that thing. I've seen that movie like 20 times. And uh, actually, I'm I'm friends with uh, some of the people in it, too. In fact, their colorist, the, the guy who colored Mile, Mile and a Half, Is, uh, he colored my last project, the High Seer Trail, and is also going to be coloring the next project called Highline.
1: So, you also said that, you know, you have a couple kids at home. Are you introducing them to, um, hiking and, and all of that? Heck
2: yeah. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) Good. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get them, get them out as much as possible. Um, they're, they're three and five, and yeah, yeah, they're good for about a mile and a half. About a mile and a half. Mile and a half. Uh, if if I, when I bribe them with donuts or something, if I bribe them with food, they go. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's getting there. You know, they won't be that that seven year old kid that hiked the whole PCT or anything, right? But uh, but they're definitely getting more and more into it. And I think it's just such a healthy thing to have in your own life because everything else could fail, right? You could lose your job, you could go through a divorce or a breakup or whatever, you could flunk out of school. It doesn't matter. Everything else could fail, and the mountains are always always still going on a hike. It's perfect.
1: Well, I want to thank you for coming on with me today.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: Yes, again, it's um, Chris Mead from Outmursive Films, and we can check out High Sierra Trail, available now on Amazon, right? iTunes.
2: Yep. Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play.
1: Okay. And then more about Highline, highlinefilm.com. And, of course, keeping an eye on what you decide to do in 2020.
0: So thanks again to Chris Smead of Outmursive Films for joining me today. To learn more about his hiking, his projects, and his filmmaking, visit my podcast notes and link to all of his information.